Hey, good morning, church. Great to see you. Welcome to Union Chapel. I'm Greg Paris. We're thrilled that you're here today. And as you're receiving the offering, I just want to ask how many of you are actually participating in one of the small groups around our current series, The God I Didn't Know? You're in, in a small group. I know many of you, maybe most of you are. Congratulations on that. I just want to say that the small group material that you've been watching and will watch again this week from Robert Lewis, Robert Morris, is uh, very similar to what I've been, I'm going to be sharing again this morning. Uh, you'll recognize the outline and the foundational points. And the reason why we're sticking so close to the small group material these first two weeks is because we want to lay a good foundation of understanding for the Holy Spirit. And then the next four weeks of the series, uh, the, the preaching around the weekends will, will vary a bit from the materials in the small group uh, study. So just so you're aware of that and you understand what's going on, we want to be helpful to you in that way. Now today, uh, we continue the series. And last week, we asked the question, who is he, the Holy Spirit? And today we want to answer the question, very important question, is he a person? Is he a person? And as we answer that question today, I think it'll be important and inspiring to you. So I've chosen as our text this morning from the New Testament letter, Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 25 to 32. We invite people to stand for the reading of the scripture as they're able and we do this for two reasons. One is it's an act of honor, respect for the scripture, which we, which we have. And the other is that there's actually a biblical model for it. In the, in the time of Ezra, in the Old Testament, Ezra was a scribe, and he was an associate of, Neb uh, of, uh, of the boys who rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. And so when Nehemiah and his team had finished building the walls, Ezra had discovered the scrolls in the temple and they had been shoved aside and the people of God weren't reading the scripture anymore. These were the five books of the old, first books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, the books of Moses. And so Ezra dusted off the old scrolls that contained the words of Moses. And, and in this revival period after the walls of Jerusalem had been rebuilt, Ezra reads the text to them, and everybody stood to their feet. And in this case, they were weeping because it had been so long since they'd heard the word of God. So this is our custom here at Union Chapel to stand to hear God's word, and that's the rationale for it. Thank you for doing so. Ephesians chapter 4, now beginning at verse 25. This is the Apostle Paul. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be benefit to those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now see that phrase. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now may God inspire us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Last week we asked the question, who is he? 
We suggested the answer is he is our helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper in a thousand and more ways. He helps us. He comes alongside of us to help. We also discovered that he is our friend, not only our helper, but our friend. And he's not weird. Some, some people who know the Holy Spirit are weird, but they're weird with or without the Holy Spirit. They're just weird. And so the Holy Spirit's not weird. He's my friend. He's not weird. And he's my God. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, today we want to ask and answer this question, is he a person? Hugely important question. Very important question. Centrally important. Essentially important. To answer the question, is he a person? Is the Holy Spirit a person? And the answer to the question, simple, is yes, he is a person. And unless and until you get your mind around, your arms around the idea that the Holy Spirit is a person, it will keep you from engaging in a personal relationship with him. Now think about that. If you don't have a person, how can you be in relationship with them? So if you embrace the notion that the Holy Spirit is a person, it will encourage you to engage a personal relationship with him. Now, Robert Morris and his teaching, you'll maybe hear this on the small group video, he suggests that maybe we should rename the Holy Spirit and rename him Bill. Because Holy Spirit, you know, it's kind of intimidating, kind of, kind of a different kind of phrase. And if we call him Bill, that way the, the formal churches can call him William when they're referring to him. And the wild churches can call him Billy, like that. Like wild Bill. So that's just an idea. When you think about it, the Holy Spirit isn't really his name. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So his name is actually God. His function, though, in, in, in the world and in our lives is to indwell us, to lead us, to empower us, to guide us into all truth. Now, we know, we know the difference between a person and a non-person. You say, well, a person is living. Well, that's not quite enough. A, a beautiful flower in the spring is alive. A tree is alive. But it's not a person because it doesn't have personality. We are persons, human beings, and one of the reasons we are persons is because we have personhood, we have personality, we are made in the image and likeness of God. Now watch this about, about us. We have a soul. Every human being has a soul. And the soul is comprised of three components, our mind, our thoughts, our will, our desires, and our emotions, our feelings. Our mind, our will, and emotions. We have a soul. And as it turns out, God also has these attributes. Because we've been made in the image and likeness of God, God also has a mind. God also has a will. God also has emotions. And so this comprises the fact that he is personhood. He has personality. And we can learn much from this. So let's unpack this just a little bit to understand that he is a person. On your outline, you'll see the first point, And that is this. He has a mind. The Holy Spirit has a mind. John 16, 13 says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into truth. He has a mind in the matter. So the Holy Spirit can guide us into all truth because he knows all truth. He's God. He's omniscient. Omni means all and scient means knowledge. And so he is all knowledgeable. He knows everything. God knows everything. It's an important concept. Wonder what God's IQ is. 
Ever wonder about that? <laughs> Albert Einstein had an IQ of 209. Now, if you don't know, that's a big number. <laughs> it's a really big number. 85% uh, of, of people in the world have an IQ between 85 and 115. 85%. So 85% of the people in the room today have an IQ between 85 and 115. If you get up to uh, 145, now you're all the way up to the one percentile of the population. So between 115 and 145 is another 14%. And from 145 and up, you're in the upper 1%. If you're 160 in IQ and higher, then you're in the, you're in the final one-tenth of 1% 1 of the whole population. Now, this is what I want to say about IQ. If you don't know your IQ, I encourage you, don't find out what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Two reasons for that. For most of us, the reason you don't want to know your IQ is because you may discover that you are just average or even below average in IQ, and that will discourage you. Because here's what, here's what I know. God Almighty will actually give you thoughts and give you ambitions and give you dreams about your life that if you find out you're not really smart enough to pull it off, <clears throat> you may give up on the dream. I just don't have the capacity to do that. All the while, God says, oh, yeah, you have the potential to do that. You just trust me, and I'll see you right through it. And the other reason I wouldn't encourage you to find out your IQ is if it, you find out that it's high, I've discovered that people who have high IQs and they know they have a high IQ, it's hard for them to be modest about it. And so what happens is this intellectual pride can develop in your life. And let me just say, intellectual pride and spiritual pride will send you to hell faster than anything else. And that's not a joke. Pride is what goes before the fall. And so people who have an IQ, they, they can develop this in, sense of entitlement. They can develop this sense of, of um, people should just uh, defer to me because I'm the, I'm the smartest pants in the room. And that's not helpful. Not helpful at all. I did some more research about IQ and professional success. Is there a correlation? And the answer is, as you would suspect, there is some correlation between IQ and professional success, but it's not as much as you would think. In fact, it is a very, very modest um, relationship between high IQ and professional success. What sociology, what psychology has determined is that there are two other primary virtues in a human being's life, much, much, much more important than intelligence, and that are these two things. It's orderliness and industriousness orderliness and industriousness. Now, you just let that soak in because that's important. In other words, if you're an organized person, you have a life that has organization about it. The alarm goes off, you get up. Because you have an appointment, you have to be to work, and you get there. You get there on time. You do it every time. You have orderliness. You have discipline in your life. And once you show up, you work hard. You're industrious. You get busy. Whatever you find God has put in front of you, you put your hands on it and you do it with all your might as unto the Lord. You, you have some order in your life and you get busy and you work hard and that is far and above the greatest predictor of professional success, not how smart you are. Now, I was, I was with one of my professors years ago. This was after we'd been in ministry about 10 years and the church was developing a little bit. And I got stuck on an elevator with one of my professors at the seminary, and he was, he's a real smarty pants. 
And, you know, he goes to chapel with uh, the Hebrew and Greek Bible. You know, if it's an Old Testament reference, he reads from the Hebrew, you know, while the rest of us are trying to sort the English. And if it's New Testament, he reads from the original Greek, you know. He's, he's annoying. And so I get stuck on the elevator with him, and he says, hey, how's your church going? And I don't know if he's patronizing me, and, he, you know, he's got to stoop way down just to talk to me. Uh, so I'm just, I'm telling him the story and after about five minutes, we're stuck on the elevator, unfortunately. And, and I like him. He's great. He, he just annoys me, but he's great. (laughs) And after a few minutes, he looked at me and said, that's amazing. What's happening in your church? He said, something occurs to me. I said, what's that? He said, you're not smart enough to do this, are you? And I said, no, no, I'm not as it turns out, but it's not about that. Is it? I, I had a friend in college, his name is Sam, and Sam has a photographic memory. Now, Sam, so 4.0 all the way through school. He never got less than an A in anything. A photographic memory, and I don't know what, if that means anything to you, but we had a class in common. We took a, an anatomy class in, at the university, and we had a test the following day on the bones of the body, and the test was simply this. The professor would set the human skeleton in front of us, and we had to label the bones, And I hadn't done any study for this test, and I got back to the dorm late after practice one night, and he said, hey, you want to study for this test? I said, great, I need to study. And so we sat down, and three hours later, Sam is quizzing me on the bones of the body because in the way my brain works, I have to memorize everything one step at a time. It's all by rote, and I just got to grind it in there, you know, just force it in and and pray that I can remember it the next day. And that's the way it works. And so three hours later, Sam asked me in one of the, those you know, belittling tones, a little sarcastic tone, because he was at the end of his patience. And he looked at me and he said, how much longer is it going to take you to remember the bones of the body? And I said, I don't know. I guess as long as it takes. Why do you, why do you ask? He said, well, I'm, you know, I'm just, I got other things to do. <laughs> and I said, I'm curious, Sam. I said, tomorrow, tomorrow uh, when you take the exam, uh, I'm just curious, how, are you ready for that? And he said, oh, yeah. I said, how long did it take you to learn the bones of the body? He said, oh, about 10 minutes. And I said, that's interesting. I said, uh, tomorrow when you actually take the exam, how will your brain process that? He said, well, he said, tomorrow when the professor lays the test in front of us, and it's just going to be a diagram of, of a skeleton, human skeleton, he said, what I will do, and he and explaining it to me, he actually closed his eyes. He closed his eyes and said, well, I'll just... In my mind, he said, I'll open up the textbook to pages 56 and 57, where the human skeleton is there, diagrammed. And he said, I'll just read the answers off the page. I jumped across the room. I put him in a headlock and began to pound him about the head and face. Now, don't, don't, I'm not a violent person. This is how young men show their affection for each other. <laughs> But I was bigger than him, and, and, that, and that troubled me, so I just, I just beat him, which is what he deserves, anyone who can do that. Because, you know, that's not, that's not fair. That's not right. For some, that's, a, that's an advantage. How did you do in school? Shut up. <laughs> Only people, you know, the, the little bumper stickers, my eighth graders on the A honor roll, I just want to run into them. I just want to bang <laughs> Okay, I need to move on. What is God's IQ? What is God's IQ? 
Well, let's just say we can't measure God's IQ. He knows everything about everything. He knows everything about everything. I mean, if an intelligence quotient, you, you can't measure his IQ. If you know everything about everything, I mean, think about this. God has, never, God has never had an original thought. He's never had a thought that he hasn't thought before. He knows everything about everything. Now, here's the point I want to make. This same God who knows everything about everything lives inside of you. The person of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, lives in us, indwells us. 1 Corinthians 3.16, 6.19, 1 Corinthians. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit indwells us, that we are the temple, the dwelling place of God himself, the Holy Spirit. So God lives inside of us. Now, here's the point I want to make, and I want to encourage you. I want to invite you into a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And let me put this statement on the screen. You have someone living inside of you who knows everything about everything and has committed himself to being your teacher and to guide you through life. How great is that? There is no question you can ask that God can't answer. And he lives inside of us. It's an amazing advantage. I mean, this, this, could, be a, this could be something that really matters to have a relationship with the God who has a mind about things. It's just so great. Uh, we, hear, we hear in our culture today all kinds of different phrases and vernacular, like from star, the whole Star Wars uh, uh, series of movies. And we got millions of people who are all caught up in Star Wars. And the phrase now that has been incorporated, assimilated into our modern vernacular is the phrase, may the force be with you. Well, what the heck does that mean? May the force be with you. There are Christians who think the Holy Spirit is some kind of force field or energy field or, or power cloud or something like that. He's just kind of floating around. You can't see him. And we're just not sure what's going on. No, no, he's a person. He's God. He's our friend. He's our helper. He wants to live inside of us. Jesus said that he was going to lead us into all truth, all truth. And so we can understand the thoughts of God, the mind of God, because he's living inside of us. It's, it's such an advantage. Beth and I, were, we were watching a, one of these reality shows a couple of years ago, and there was a young woman who got sick. She's out in the, out in the middle of nowhere. She gets, ate something she shouldn't eat, so she's all sick, and they're having to evacuate her out of there. And you could hear her tone, and she's praying. They're, the medics are hauling her away, and she's praying, please help me, help me. And you could hear the tone and tenor was prayerful. She was, she was hurting. She was desperate. And I thought, that's a good prayer because, you know, I use that. That's my favorite prayer, help. God answers that prayer. And this is, but this is how she finished her prayer. You know, the camera zoomed in. She said, please help me, universe. Please, universe, help me. She's praying to the universe. Well, what the, what does that mean? What, what, are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> Come on. Raised by hippies. <laughs> Almighty God loves you. He's a person. He wants to live in you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to lead you into all truth. Now, here's the second thing. Write this down. He has a will. Not only does he have a mind, he has a will. Acts 16, 6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden. See the phrase? Forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Okay. Now, now, we know that the Holy Spirit kept the boys from going to that part of Asia then, but 
Subsequently, we read in the book of Acts that God actually sent them there. So the Holy Spirit said, now go to Asia. So it was just a timing thing in this point. It wasn't to forbid the preaching of the gospel anywhere. But the, the word forbid here means to exercise your will. For example, you've forbidden your children or grandchildren from eating candy, you know, before dinner. I forbid you to do that. And it's normal. And the Holy Spirit has a will about questions in our lives. So why not get to know the one who understands best God's will? Why not? If you'd like to know God's will for your life, then you need to get to know God. Get to know the Holy Spirit. Now, God's will is revealed to us in a couple of different ways. One is generally. God's general will is revealed to us through his word, through the scripture, the Holy Scripture. And God's specific will is revealed to us by a relationship with the Holy Spirit and his voice talking to us, leading us into that will for God. So there's general revelation and there's specific revelation for our lives. For example, if you want to know how to be married, the best practices for a successful marriage, that's in the Bible. General revelation. The best business book in the world, and there are good ones out there, but the best business manual in the world is the book of Proverbs in the Bible. If you own a business, you should read the Proverbs all the time because you'll, you'll know what to do yeah, when the questions come up. And, but if, but if you want to know whom to marry, then you've got to hear the voice. You've got to get specific revelation. If I want to know how to be a good husband, I can learn that through the scripture. If I want to know who to marry, should I marry Beth, i got to hear the voice. i got to get specific revelation from God about that. If you want to know where to live or what house to buy or what career to choose, you need to hear the voice. If you want to know how to operate a, a business with, with a Christian value structure, that's right here. Learn that generally from the Bible. How to be an authentic Man, an authentic husband, an authentic father, that's in the Bible. General revelation. If you want to know how to raise each unique and special child that God gives you, you got to hear the voice. you got to customize the leadership for that little guy or girl. So how do you do that? You listen to the Holy Spirit. He will guide you into all truth. If you want to know how to pray, just read the Bible. Jesus said, this is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Jesus said, this is how you pray. If you want to know what to pray, you need to hear the voice. Oh, wait a minute. I know, I know what to pray. Do you? Oh, yeah. In this case, I know exactly what to pray. Really? You, you know what the will of God is in every situation. As it turns out, let me just challenge you with this. I don't think we know, I don't think we know what to pray at all. I think we need the Holy Spirit's help every time we try to pray. Romans 8, 28 is a popular verse. Everybody loves this promise, and we should. Roman, I'll put it on the screen. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. But did you know the two verses just prior to that beautiful promise, that God will bring good out of bad? Look at it on the screen, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we should pray. The Spirit helps us, makes intercession for us. And now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So there it is. The mind and the will of God is available to us through a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. So knowing the mind and will of God is accomplished by knowing the Holy Spirit. 
And by the way, this is the greatest time to be alive in all of human history. Did you know it? It's the greatest time to be alive. Let me tell you why. Up until 2,000 years ago, there were very, very few people who could hear the voice of God. For example, in Noah's day, there's only one guy on the whole planet who could hear God. It was Noah. God said to Noah, build a boat because there's a flood coming. And tell your family, get started. It's going to take you a long time. And so for over 100 years, Noah worked on the boat and his boys. He's the only guy on the planet who could hear God. Only guy there. And everybody else thought he was crazy. There were other generations in history, and we find these, these examples in the Old Testament, where there were entire generations of people and just a handful of folks in the whole generation were able to hear God. Some prophets would hear God. Occasionally, the judges might hear God. Moses spoke to God face to face. Nobody else could hear him. It's an interesting thing. We have, a, we have a period of time between the Testaments called the intertestamental period between the last book of the Bible, the Old Testament, Malachi, and the first book of the New Testament, Matthew. And so from Malachi to Matthew, you know how many years there are? There's 400 years. So you ask the question, what was God saying to people on the earth for those 400 years? And the answer is, we don't know. The assumption is God wasn't speaking to anybody for 400 years. Now, we don't have an appreciation for it now because we live in a, in a period of time that is the best possible time to be alive because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ became incarnate into the world. He put on an earth suit, became a man, lived a sinless life, offered himself as a perfect sacrifice for your sins and mine, and then on the third day, he rose from the dead and once and for all defeated death, hell, and the grave. And he told his disciples, he said, look, I'm going to leave you now. I'm going away, but it's better that if I go away. Because if I don't go, I can't send you the helper, the paraclete, the comforter, the one to come alongside of you. But if I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, which we will study in this series in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell on 120 men and women in an upper room in Jerusalem, and they spilled out onto the street in front of thousands of people, and Peter stood up and he said, this is that. What you're seeing here manifest on all these, these people in the street, this is that which was spoken of by Joel the prophet. He said, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, on you, on you, on you, on you, on you, on all of you, on you, and you, on me, on all flesh. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now listen, how are our sons and daughters going to prophesy if they can't hear the voice? Don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He said, your young men are going to see visions. And your old men are going to dream dreams. Now how are you going to dream the dreams of God for your life and for our generation if you don't hear the voice? If you're not, not in touch with a relationship with the Holy Spirit? How are you going to do that? Now, I look across the room. I see there's a lot of people here who are dreaming dreams. I'm still seeing visions. Just wanted you to know where I was in that category. But a relationship with the Holy Spirit. This is the greatest time in all of history to be alive because we can hear God. We, we take this for granted. We have no way of 
appreciating just how wonderful and special and grace-filled and mercy-filled our opportunity to be alive when God is actually speaking to people and inhabiting all flesh. It's a wonderful advantage to be able to hear God and to know his will because he has a will in your life and he has a will in the world. Now, Robert Morris will say this on the outline. I'll say it again. As your pastor, I can hear God with you, but I can't hear God for you. I can hear God with you, but I can't hear God for you. Many times in my, in my work, I've had people, and this has been especially true with younger people, who've come to me and say, Pastor Greg, could, could you pray and ask God what he thinks I should do? No. Now, if he tells me something, I'll, you know, I'll pass it on. It's not, it's not my place to hear God for you. That's your place. God wants to talk to you about you. If after the service this morning, Beth is standing over there and you and I are just staying over here having a conversation, what if I just say to you, you know, would you go over and ask Beth uh, where she wants to go on vacation this year? You'd look at me and go, what? what? No, you're, you're going with her, right? You should ask her <laughs> where she wants to go. What if it was even more personal? Just assume we're a little bit younger. And I said, what, would you go ask my wife uh, how many children she wants to have? The right response from you would be, no, that's, that's not appropriate. You should go ask her <laughs> a personal question like that. So don't expect someone else to hear from God for you. God wants to speak to you. Does God have a word for you? Yeah, God told me he wants to talk to you personally. There's your word. You got it. Yeah. So he has a mind. He has a will. Now, here's the last point. Write this down. He has emotions. He has emotions. He's a person. You're a person. He's a person. We're made in his image and likeness. We feel things. God feels things. The fruit of the Spirit, for example, are all characteristics of a person. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, try to feel this. Love, joy, feel the emotion, peace patience, kindness, gentleness. Can you feel that? Yeah, these are attributes of the spirit because he has personality, he has emotions. A person has all of these qualities. And then verse 30 from our text, Ephesians 4, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit who sealed you for the last day. So what does that mean? It just means God has feelings. God can feel sad. And so we have this whole list of things. Would you avoid these? Putting away lying. Let each of you speak the truth. Let him who steal, who stole steal no longer. Uh, no corrupt word proceeding out of your mouth. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, why is don't grieve the Spirit in the context of all of these sins to avoid? It's because sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what destroys the intimacy and relationship we have with God. So the re emotional response that God has when we sin and separate ourselves from him and lose our intimacy with him is to be sad. God feels grief when we're not close to him. You see what's going on here? There, there's a phrase in the Bible that says, God hates divorce. God hates divorce. And so people read that and they conclude, well, I've been through divorce and so that must mean God hates me. No, that's not what that means. 
What it means is God knows the things that hurt people, and he knows divorce hurts people, and he's against anything that hurts people because it makes him sad. It fills him with grief. So the admonition is don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Live honorably. You know, speak truth, work hard, be a good person. This makes the Holy Spirit happy because he feels happy too. Happy, sad, mad. Can the Holy Spirit be angry? Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. So do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And so we, 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 we don't learn from this that God is a prude or he's mean, but rather he just cares and wants to feel good toward us. Let me just uh, bring this in with this thought. Many times in life what happens to us is something bad happens. We're wounded, we're offended, we're disappointed, we get hurt. And as a result of that wound, that pain, we start down a road sometimes that leads to anger or bitterness, unforgiveness. And we just head down that road because it's just a natural thing to do. I take an offense and I'm just, I don't like that person, so I'm just, I'm going to build some bitterness against that person. And we start down this road. Or maybe it's, a, maybe it's a, a temptation that you succumb to, a besetting sin that just keeps troubling you and tripping you. And, you. and it entices you. And you head down this road. And when you start down this road, it's a paved road. It's a nice, nice smooth highway. And you're just cruising down this road. And there are signs along the way. And the Holy Spirit says, wrong way. Turn around, dead end. And you get these little prompts, these warnings, the Holy Spirit's saying, don't, because that's not good. You're going the wrong way. And you're heading down this road, and the road goes from pavement, and then it gets to gravel. It becomes a gravel road. Now rocks are kicking up, and there's dust in the air, and it's a little more difficult to see, and, and, and life becomes a little more chaotic. And you're just moving down this road. And all the while, you know, you know I can turn around anytime. And I know I should. I need to turn around and go the other way. Because the way I'm going in this area of my life isn't good. And I know it grieves the Holy Spirit. And yet you keep going. And every last single one of us in this room identify with what I'm describing right now. And then the road becomes just a dirt road. And you're on a dirt road. And you know you should have turned back a long time ago, but you didn't. You should have, but you didn't. And you get down to the dirt part of the road, and now there's a flash flood. Something happens. It just exacerbates the crisis, exacerbates the pain. It reminds you of the wound. And now water hits the dirt road, and it becomes mud. And now you bog down, and you're stuck. Just stuck there. And you can't get out. You know, you try, but you can't. You're stuck. You're stuck in that pain. You're stuck in that offense. You're stuck in that bitterness. You're stuck in that besetting sin. You're stuck. Here's what the Holy Spirit's saying to you today. The Holy Spirit's saying, if you will invite me into your life to inform your mind, to give you the thoughts of God, to inspire your will, so that you'll know the affections of God and you'll surrender your emotions so that you'll feel the things that God feels. 
The Holy Spirit says, if you'll go there today, listen, I'll meet you at that place where you're stuck. I'll pull you out. I'll give you the power. I know you can't get out because you're stuck. If it was up to you, but you can't. You're stuck. And the Holy Spirit says, I'll pull you out. I'll pull you out, turn you around, and you can start down the road going the other direction. Listen, it was a process. Some of you, I'm, de I'm describing you, and your story has lasted for decades when you started down the road. Years and years and years. It was a process for you to get to the place where you're stuck. And it'll probably be a process to get to your full healing and restoration. But the Holy Spirit is saying, if you'll say yes to me, I'll pull you out of your stuck place and send you on the road of recovery. And God will help you. Do you have an ear for that? Now let's pause just for a moment and pray that God will meet us. Lord, thank you that you have a mind and a will and feelings about us. And I pray that we might invite you personally and intimately into our lives. And especially in that area where we're stuck. God, I pray for the power right now for everyone in this room who identifies that place. For the power to be pulled out of that place where we're stuck and set on solid ground once again so that we can begin moving up the road to healing and recovery and restoration. Meet us each one, I pray then, at the point of our need. Now, while we're praying, let me, could I just ask, would, if, if, you're, if you're in a place like that and you want to invite the Spirit to that stuck place, would you just raise your hand? Nobody's looking around. This is just a way for you to acknowledge to God and yourself that you want to be pulled out of that place and put on a road of recovery. So good, so good. Now, Lord, meet us by your power in Jesus' name.